Hi, this is Mimi Sheraton, author of A Thousand Foods to Eat Before You Die, and you are listening to Radio Cherry Bomb. everybody. Welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. I'm Carrie Diamond, Editorial Director of Cherry Bomb, the indie magazine about women and food. On today's show, we have two women making their mark on the food world in very different ways. Hawa Hassan of the indie brand Boss Boss and Molly Yeh, the blogger and new cookbook author. This season of Radio Cherry Bomb is brought to you by Knopf, publisher of food's most fabulous icons, from Julia Child to Lydia Bastianich, and home to new literary talents such as Sweet Bitter's Stephanie Dandler. Speaking of Stephanie, Cherry Bomb is coming to Chicago, yay, for a special Sweet Bitter event. On Tuesday, October 18th at 6 p.m., we're hosting a book reading, signing, and cocktail party at the boarding house with Stephanie in celebration of her best-selling novel. Tickets are $75 and include a signed copy of the book, a copy of Cherry Bomb, great wine and hors d'oeuvres, and some sweet treats to take home from Vosges Haute Chocolat and Wild Ophelia. Check out our Instagram page for the ticket link. I read Stephanie's book this summer and really could not put it down. If you work in the restaurant world, it's a must read as it's all about life as a server in one of New York's top restaurants. It's so beautifully written. Stephanie clearly has a long, bright career ahead of her. If you live in Chicago, come hang out with us. I'd love to see you. Our first guest wants more people to know about the foods of her native country, Somalia. She is the founder of Boss Boss, a line of Somali sauces sold in specialty shops like Dina DeLuca and soon to launch in Whole Foods Market. Hawa participated in the incubator program at Hotbread Kitchen in Harlem and has big plans to expand her small brand. Hawa was born in Mogadishu, the capital of Somalia, and by the time she was five years old, she was living in a UN refugee camp in Nairobi, Kenya, with her four siblings and her mother. Within two years, her mother had her own business and an apartment. But as the family moved out of the camp, her mother made the difficult decision to send Hawa to Seattle to live with a family friend. It would be 15 years before Hawa saw her family again. Her story is certainly one of perseverance and positivity, and she's an influence to all of us here at Cherry Bomb. Hawa Hassan, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you, Carrie. I'm so excited to be here. We're so exci- so excited to have you here. So let's get right into it. Tell us how Boss Boss came to be. Um, I moved to New York at the end of 2005, and I came here to model. While doing that, I always knew that at some point the curtains would come down and I would need a, a game plan, an exit strategy. I always wanted to be in food, but for the most part, I, I wanted to do green juices and um, create a healthy lifestyle brand. And in 2014, I went to go see my mom, who lives in Oslo, and took my Vitamix and was blending every day. And my mom and I just got in conversation about young Somalis and um, people that are really changing the way that my siblings are coming up in Europe, that are influencing um, European culture, whether it's in the entrepreneurial space or if it's um, opening up restaurants. And um, my mom thought it would be a better idea if I did something along the lines of my home country as opposed to doing something a lot of other people were doing. 
Um, so it, my mom was really the, the force behind the sauces and um, wanting me to introduce Somali cuisine uh, to America. So it is not easy to get a business off the ground, especially <laughs> when you're a one woman. I know your mother managed to do it, but um, it's hard. It's hard in anywhere when you're a one woman operation. Where did you even begin? Um, I, I think that where I got my biggest kick and push from was when I legalized the company, I, I thought if I put money in now, then I'll have to follow through. Um, that was a big Kickstarter. And then after that, just meeting the right people and being in conversation with women who are in that space. Uh, that's been very helpful for me. Hot Bread Kitchen has been instrumental in um, giving me the tools that I needed originally. Um, so let's talk about Hot Bread for a second. So a lot of you know about Hot Bread Kitchen. I think we've had Jessamine Rodriguez on the show, who's the founder. Absolutely. It's um, sort of a two-part organization. It's a bakery that works with um, a Immig- lot of immigrant women. Yep. And it's also an incubator program. So you got into the incubator program? Yeah. So I pretty much stalked Yezamin, um 2013 through 2014. And my biggest idea was if I get into this kitchen, if she accepts me, then I will have all the resources I need. And so I applied... Um, January of 2015, Yasmin and I had a conference call. I was in Seattle. Um, when I started the sauce, when I wanted to start the sauce, I moved to Seattle for eight months just to focus on it. Um, and she called me. We had a conversation and turned in my business plan and all these things that she'd asked for and came back and I hit the ground running. But the very first six months wouldn't have been possible without you know, Yezimin and her team telling me, well, you need to schedule to process, <laughs> you know, um, and allowing me to produce in a way that I can learn. So let me ask you about the crucial but kind of nosy question. Where did you get the money to do a product line? Um, it's still tricky because I like to say that I had all this money. I didn't. So <laughs> you didn't make mad cash from your modeling career? Well, even if I did, I spent so much money on not only taking care of myself, but being the eldest daughter in my family, my father living in Mogadishu still, you know, there are a lot of different responsibilities that maybe some of my friends don't have here in, um, in New York or in America. And so I never, though I knew modeling was going to end, I never was somebody who just put money away or kept putting money away. Um... I've definitely asked some of my best friends for money. I've, I have a girlfriend named Rachel who's been instrumental, especially in the beginning. She was like, okay, your insurance is due. Let me help. Um, so are they official investors in your business? No. Or was that just sort of angel friend? Angel friend. Um, angel friends for sure. Mm-hmm. So did you? So let's talk about what Boss Boss is exactly. Tell us what's in the line. Um, it, right now, our first two offerings are a tamarind and date sauce and a coconut and cilantro sauce. Sounds so um, good. Yeah, they're pretty yummy. Um, and they're the national condiments of Somalia. And so for me, I really would love for this to be a household um, thing the same way that sriracha and ketchup are. And that's my, my big picture is having them at every table inside every refrigerator. I think people are using food as a passport and a gateway into other cultures, especially the millennials. Um, You know, we're not making money, so we're not traveling as much, but 
we have a very diverse palette. I so, think I just call myself a millennial. That's no. fine. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, are you a millennial? It's fine as long I, as you are a millennial. I think so. If I call myself a millennial, I might get called out on that. But um, so let's, you know, it's fashion week in Paris right now. So mm-hmm. let's talk about modeling a tiny bit. What, what kind of modeling did you do? Um, in the beginning, I did some runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I moved to New York, I did a lot more catalog and commercial work. Um, and did you enjoy it? I did. I am not a, um, I thought about it over the years, like why some of my friends were widely successful and maybe what wasn't working for me was that I didn't know how to turn it on and turn it off. I'm pretty much the same person from, you know, work to home. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that didn't help me much that I couldn't turn it on and turn it off with clients or at set. But I, I did very well and I learned so much from modeling, especially being in business now. Yeah, I was going to say a lot that you are, have been able to put toward your, your new entrepreneur life. Absolutely. Just even being able to leverage relationships that I built um, during, during my short-lived career. Um, friends that know people at Whole Foods or friends that, um, that have other friends that are in food um, that I worked with in a random, you know, random way, I guess. So where is home for you now? You mentioned Mogadishu. Um, you mentioned your mom in Oslo, yep. right? You've got New York. You've got Seattle. I always say that home for me is where my mother is. So she goes between Mombasa, which is in Kenya, and in, um, in Oslo. So I try to go to Oslo once a year and then hopefully try to meet up once um, in Kenya. And where are your siblings today? Some of them are in boarding school um, in Kenya, and then the rest are in um, in Oslo. And you were the oldest of the five? Um, there's 10 of us now. Oh, there are 10 of you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> My mom remarried and had five more with her second husband. Um, I'm the second eldest. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is a big, uh, it's a lot of people to remember for birthdays and holidays and whatnot. Um, so let's talk about your childhood because it's really an astonishing story. What do you remember from living in a refugee camp? Um, I remember people being really happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember people sharing a lot, whether it was like talk about what was going to be next for our government, um, people sharing food. Um, I just remember folks starting anew, you know, turning, there's, it was a time of change for not just a few people, but a whole country. So you can imagine how that is like a, a huge, um, um, like an, an uprising or a, a new day or, um, so I just, I just remember people gathering all the time in conversation all the time, folks coming over for dinner, um, every night. Cause it wasn't like you weren't going to get up and go to work the next day. Um, at least not that first year. And then when your mother made the decision to send you to America, you were only seven years old, mm-hmm. right? How was that news communicated to you? And, and what do you remember? Um, well, originally, another woman who lived in our camp, her daughter was supposed to go to Seattle with a group of Somali refugees. And my mother had applied for sponsorship. 
So she thought one less kid, I'll only have four, it'll be easier to get to America, we'll be right behind her. Um, that didn't happen. She didn't get sponsorship until 2001, and that was to Norway. Um, so I was told you're going to go with this group of people. I knew a few of them. I was a very adventurous kid. I was like my mom's sidekick. So for me, anything to make things easier at that point on her. Um, and that was it. I mean, we it came about one month, and I was gone the next. You say you were your mom's sidekick. Did you think you would be reunited quickly? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think the first two years I, I wore my hijab. I like prayed every day. I was like, I'm going to make my mother proud. You know, she's going to show up and I'm going to be fluent in English. And, and then by the time I was like third year of like going back to school, I was like, okay, no one's coming. And how Um, were you, were you able to communicate with them? Oh yeah, my mom wrote a lot of letters. She called, um, she called once a month, twice, mm-hmm. you know, or every other week or so. Whenever she could, she'd call. She'd always send me gifts. Anytime someone new was coming to town, they had something for me. Um, I, I felt very loved. It just was something that needed to be done, I guess, at the time. Yeah. How do you think that shaped how you are as an adult now? Um, I think I'm a very I'm really cautious about things, but I'm also very optimistic about life. And I think when you're seven years old and you have to navigate new waters, it really brings about um, it brings about new things in you. I I went to Seattle as a little girl who was, you know, I'd never really been out of my mother's sight or my father's or my siblings for that matter. And so to to be by myself all over again um, was really interesting, but there's no place on earth I can't go now and fit right in. Um, and I think that in itself is a gift that came from this journey. Was Seattle welcoming? Absolutely. I, um, by the time I was in middle school, I joined like Young Life. Do you know Young mm-hmm. Life, the Christian group? <laughs> I joined Young Life, I joined 4-Age, I had basketball teammates who took me in and like fed me, you know, on Sunday nights. Um, Seattle was very welcoming. So I would imagine you have uh, maybe strong feelings about the current refugee situation? I do. As a nation and as a United Nations, like everybody, I think we're absolutely failing um, in protecting the refugees all over the world. I'm I'm still a green card holder. I'm not a US citizen. And so even sometimes when I travel, I see the way that I'm treated with my my US travel document. It's under a refugee asylum. It's a a, a green card, um a green passport that I use. So I don't know what the answers are, but I think people need to open their borders. I think people need to be welcoming from the ground up, neighbors, um I recently heard about the people in Idaho protesting because Hamdi from Jobani is like heavily funding um, the refugees that are coming over. So I hope things change. I and they I need to open their borders and open their minds. I think absolutely, absolutely. I I think that's the first step. Would you like to be a citizen? Yeah. <laughs> I think it would make me moving around a little bit, a little bit easier. I would imagine. Yeah. I would imagine. So let's talk about Somali cuisine. Okay. So many people lump 
they just say African cuisine. Ethiopians have made a huge wave in America when it comes to making their cuisine available to more people. So and you could talk to any friend of yours and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you say, have you had African food? They'll say, I had Ethiopian mm -hmm. food. But African food is different depending on the country. So if you're a land landlocked country, obviously you're not going to have access to fish the same way that a country like Senegal does. So you can imagine that Somalia is very different from Ethiopian cuisine. Ethiopians, um, ours is sweet and savory and it's a lot of rice. It's heavily Italian influenced because we were colonized by the Italians until 1960. Um, we eat our anjeras different. We eat ours in the morning for breakfast with tea and cinnamon and butter. What is on, tell us what anjeras are. Anjera is, uh, it's a flat bread, um, a thin, thin flatbread. So it would be kind of the way that most people use tortilla. Um, but Ethiopians use theirs on every meal. So they use it as a bed on most of their, um, most of their food. So we, we don't do that. We eat it at breakfast. We eat rice. We eat pasta. We eat banana with everything, as I've told you before. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. You gave me the recipe for a beautiful stew. Mm -hmm. That pronounce it for me again, because it's just Somali chicken stew. Somali chicken stew. Mm -hmm. I could pronounce that. Um, <laughs> but there's a name. What's the official name for it? Um, sugo. And you said it's served with banana on the side, which right. I I thought was fascinating. And it's so beautiful and so fragrant. My apartment smelled amazing for days. And you said it's something that's passed down from woman to woman. Yeah. So in, in my family, it's passed down from my grandmother to my, to my mother and then to my sisters and I. It's comforting. It's a reminder of home. Um, it's something that we make for guests when they come over. It's just like a, a small token of a welcome. Um, so I love to make it. I make it weekly. I love to make it for company. Um, I make it for anyone I love, actually. Now, you said the two sauces that are in the Bas Bas line are sort of the national condiments of Somalia. So how do you use those? Like, if I bought them in Whole Foods, how would I use them? You could use them the same way you use sriracha as an additive, or you can use it to sear your fish, your chicken, um, especially our red one, the tamarind and date sauce. Um, or you could use it as a dip on top of hard-boiled eggs. It's really up to you. It's, you know, it's multi-purpose. And you have some recipes on your website, right? I do, yeah. Are they your recipes? Friends, where are they from? Um, no, these are recipes that other people have done but included my sauces. Again, being a one-woman show, <laughs> there's no way I can conquer it all. Um, but I hope to get more into creating my own and getting creative in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So where, is there a great... Somali restaurant in New York? Yes. Where, um, do we, where do we all need to go? The only one, actually. Um, my girlfriend, Muna, opened up a restaurant on 116th Street, and um, it's in Little Senegal. It's just right there in the middle, I think, between 6th and 7th. What's the name of it? It's called Safari. Safari. Okay. Yeah. We all have to, we, we maybe have to organize a cherry bomb outing. Absolutely. Safari. You would love it. You won't regret anything on that menu. Oh, that'll be a blast. And she's the chef or the owner? Both? Um, her and her husband are the chefs together. Um, her husband does much more of the cooking, but she runs the front of the house. He runs the back of the house. Oh, fantastic. Okay. We're really excited to go there. Yeah. So, um... All right, it is time for the speed round. Are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> okay, coffee or tea? Somali tea, shah, with cinnamon and cloves and cardamom. Beautiful. Sweet or salty? Salty. 
What's in your fridge right now? Um, tomatoes, pepper, eggs, um, and kombucha. What kitchen tool do you use the most? My Vitamix. If you were trapped on a desert island with one food celebrity, who would it be? Oh, this is tough. Um, Speed round. First person who comes to mind. Martha. (laughs) (laughs) Why Martha? Um, I think she's really funny. She has a great sense of humor. um, And she seems very easy to get on with. What are you reading currently? I am reading um, Habits of Highly Effective People. Good one. Where would you like to travel to next? Um, I would love to go to Cape Town. Great. Well, Hawa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know we'll be talking to you a lot over the years. I hope the next time we see you, you have employees, right? Because now you are just a one woman operation. But we're super excited uh, about your brand. And we really look forward to seeing how Boss Boss expands. And that's great news about Whole Foods, because that's a new development, right? That you'll be in Whole Foods soon. So everyone should look for Boss Boss in a store near you or on bossbosssauce.com. You can also ask your favorite retailer if they carry the sauce. We will be right back with Molly A after this message from our sponsor. Imagine the culinary world without the influence of Julia Child, Marcella Hazan, Edna Lewis, Maud Herjoffrey, Lydia Bastianich, and Judith Jones. It's impossible. We have the iconic publishing house, Knopf, to thank for bringing the writings and the recipes of these women to life. Knopf's great tradition of supporting new voices continues today with Smitten Kitchen's Deb Perlman, Sweet Bitter's Stephanie Dandler, and Butter Baked Goods' Rosie Dakin. Check out Knopf's great collection of fiction, nonfiction, and cookbooks at your favorite bookstore. Keep reading and keep cooking with Knopf. Our next guest is one of the most loved food bloggers around, Molly Yeh. She launched her popular website, My Name is Yeh, and quickly found an audience for her fusion-friendly recipes and storytelling. She was raised in the Chicago suburbs. Is that right, Molly? I Correct. To fact Glenview, check that Illinois. With you. Studied percussion at Juilliard in Manhattan and now lives on a farm on the Minnesota-North Dakota border. Is that right? Correct. Yes. <laughs> she can now add author to her resume as her first cookbook, Molly on the Range, was just published. Molly Yeh, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you so much. It's crazy to be here because I listen to it all the time in my little kitchen and the theme song echoes through my kitchen and I just, it's so weird to hear the real thing right here. Well, what's so weird to me is it took us so long to get you on Radio Cherry Bomb. Oh, I forget what season we're in now. Who knows? But we've known you for a long, we've known you as you've no internet friends for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think it was Gabby that interviewed me as a cherry bomb it girl right. in 2014. Was and that was the so very excited. first issue? 
Uh, I want to say it was the second issue. Oh, Aaron yeah. McKenna on the cover? Uh, I think so, <laughs> not yeah. That I, not that I expect you to remember all of that. But um, yeah, Gabby Vigoro, who yes. we love. Hi, Gabby. Hi, Gabby. She usually listens. Um, and then I went to Yahoo Food and was with my whole team there. And you were our... Uh, blogger of the year. That was crazy. I still remember finding out about that. I was on my mini moon in Duluth, Minnesota, outside of Duluth. So I actually had no phone service at all, um, except for this one little patch. And suddenly my phone started literally exploding and people were like, ah, you're Yahoo's food blogger of the year. They were like, (laughs) they compared you to Mario Batali. And I started crying right in the middle of my mini moon. That was pretty funny. We uh, we loved doing those awards. We were like, let's do, a, you know, because Yahoo Food was like a new thing. We were like, let's do awards. Molly Yale will be our blogger of the year. And you know what was really fun? We named Amy Chaplin's cookbook. Um, she has a beautiful vegan cookbook called uh, At Home in the Whole Foods Kitchen. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful book. Even if you're not a vegan, it's so beautiful. Gorgeous. So we named that, we kind of went out on a limb and named that because the Yahoo audience wasn't exactly the vegan, you know, audience. Um, So we named that our cookbook of the year. And the book went from like, I don't know what number on on Amazon to like number 22 of of all books overall. So like literally every five minutes we were checking her ranking and it was, it was like we were her mother. We were so excited. We were high-fiving every time. So it's nice when you can do nice things like that. Yeah, that's awesome. But it's taken us this long to meet. That's crazy. It's, ooh, yeah, we were supposed to meet in March. It's We were? At South By. Oh, right. Oh, and then Yahoo Food was no more. <laughs> oh, wait, we were, we, that's right. We were on the phone. We talked on the phone. <laughs> we had big plans. We, we did. We had big plans. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that was a little out of my control, as you can imagine. So. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> but now we're here. But now we're here. And you are a cookbook author. <gasps> That's weird. Tell us, crazy. you know, because your writing comes naturally to you and cooking and recipe testing and taking pictures and food styling. How different is the process of doing a cookbook versus doing a blog? Um, so with the blog, I can really just be in control. And if I feel like putting something off, I can put it off. And if I don't get to that one task that was on my to-do list for the past three months, I can eventually just kind of eliminate it and pretend like it never existed. But with the book, it was just such a um, intense process of not leaving any page unturned, um, getting to everything, uh, people following up until you respond to their email. Um, (laughs) uh, And it was, it's, but so it's like this huge project and I feel like I'm so bad at quitting big projects that to now have a hardcover book in front of me that um that I made is it really is like giving birth to a book baby not that I know what giving birth is like but um it's a it's fun and I've always kept diaries and I've always kept scrapbooks and and they're always really kind of um rustic with uh, scotch tape putting the the pictures onto the page with my sharpie markers um in my little you know kids scrapbooks and so now to have something that's an actual real legit book in print that people can pay money for and give as gifts and stain with all of their ingredients and stuff is so exciting. Yeah, is it thrilling to have something tangible when your whole life is online? Absolutely. And that was something that uh, was a, 
I would say a little bit difficult for me when I migrated my personal diary practice to the blog. Um, it was a switch in a mindset to go from having my little moleskin diary that I would take in my little carry-on bag anytime I would go anywhere and just journal the day away um, to going to something that, um, you know, on one hand, it's great that I can share it with other people um, and, and my family and stuff can read it. But on the other hand, it was a little bit nerve wracking to know that I don't have this one um, physical object that I can carry around and protect and you know who knows like one of the internet blows up and my and my blog is gone that's my that's my baby that's my diary and so it's um it it, it was a little bit uneasy for me to make that transition but now I have a, a physical book so and you obviously wrote everything there, yes. All the recipes are yours. Did you do all the pictures and the food styling? Um, I did um, a large majority of the pictures. There are some pictures in there uh, that we shot for events like a harvest party. There's a bonfire. There's um, a farm lunch and a pizza night on a tractor. And so for that, I had uh, my good friend Chantel, who's an amazing photographer in Fargo, uh, come to Grand Forks to do that. And she was my wedding photographer, too. And I just, I think the world of her. And so she took those lifestyle shots. So for those who don't know your blog, my name is Yay. Tell us about the blog. So the blog um, began as just an extension of my diary. It started seven years ago, and um, I would blog about the silliest things like my Halloween costumes or um, just like random photo shoots with large stacks of cans of Red Bulls that I had just drinking. It was just so like very collegey and very like um I would put like photos from um those disposable cameras up on the blog or I would do Polaroid photos and um it was it's like kind of embarrassing promise me you won't go back into the archives and look um but as I sort of um Grew up and, and explored the, the the city outside of Lincoln Center where I was going to school and learned about restaurants and learned about different foods from all over the world. I took notice that I was blogging more and more about food and um, and more people started reading it when I started blogging about food and I just I loved it so much I would um, leave the practice room early I would stop practicing my xylophone so that I can go and try I'm in a tavern black label burger and spend all of my work study money on that. And then um, I remember after that night, I walked back. It was like a five mile walk through Manhattan back up to my apartment. And the entire way I was just dreaming of how I could write about it and how I could um, talk about it and like tell my my few five readers about it. And uh, I just got so excited about food. And um, when I left the dorms and when I moved into an apartment, I realized how fulfilling um, and how fun it was to make food myself and not necessarily go out to restaurants all the time. Um, and it, it was, I think one of the things that I was really appealed to was the fact that in music, um, you're always playing other people's music, and um, or at least I was, I, just, I can't write music. But I was always um, uh, going to the practice room and trying to get myself to play a piece of music that somebody else had written, and I didn't really have that much control over the uh, over that 
side of the creative process. And so learning how to make food and feel like I could have the control from um, gathering my ingredients to developing the recipe to taking the photos and then writing about it was so fulfilling to me. So I... Um, it morphed into a recipe blog um, when I was in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And then um, when I moved out to the farm, um, all this new content sort of opened up because there were so many new foods that I had, they, even in Manhattan, couldn't get, like Midwestern cookie salad and jello salad and hot dish and these very um, comforting, hearty foods that are so good for like the North, <laughs> the upper Midwest. And, um, and so that's what I blog about now. In addition to recipes that, um, are inspired by my heritage, my Chinese and Jewish heritage, because I'm the only Chinese Jew in town. So if I'm not going to make challah and scallion pancakes, not many other people are. So, um, so it's the kind of the exchange of cultures there. Yeah. Let's talk about your family. So I'm guessing, were you unique in your Chicago suburb? No, no, not at all. I, um, my suburb had it was there was a large Jewish community, a large Asian community, um, and so I n never felt the kind of um, sticking out of this that I do now in my sea of Scandinavian community members. But um, and that was the land of John Hughes, 16, exactly, and sixteen candles yes. and yeah. pretty in pink and all that. I'm re I just started reading Jason Diamond's book about John Hughes. You were the other Molly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John Hughes went to the other high school in my district. So, um, it's definitely that world. Were those movies impactful on you growing up? Um, or were you not that generation? It was a little bit after oh, that generation. Yeah, no, I'm older. They, they were, they were big for me, but okay, we'll move on. So, so who's Jewish and who's Chinese? In my mother's Jewish and my okay. dad's Chinese. And how did they find each other in this world? Um, my dad dropped a plate of food at her feet at a party that she was not going to go to. Um, apparently she was like ready for bed and her friend called her. They, they were living in my, so, okay. So my dad lives in Chicago or they both live in Chicago, but, um, my dad is in the Chicago symphony and my mom was in grad school at the time and she was like ready for bed. And then her friend called her and said, we're going to this holiday party. And she showed up and my dad dropped a plate of food at her feet and that was that. And who was the cook in the family? My mom was a cook. My dad is like a insane eater. He is a human garbage disposal. Um, he does not let any leftovers go to waste. Every restaurant we leave, he has a doggy bag. <laughs> yeah. Did you have, do you have siblings? I do. I have an older sister who, uh, she actually went to culinary school and studied pastry and she is now in the wine industry. Um, and I have a younger half sister who is 10, who loves baking cakes. I'm so proud of her and she loves food. She'll eat everything. She corrected my pronunciation of the word Satan the other day. Couldn't believe it. She's amazing. Did you cook growing up? Um, I, I baked, um, I woke up every, pretty much every Sunday to like fresh baked scones and fresh coffee cakes because my mom loves to bake and, um, and every night during the week we would have fresh home cooked, home cooked dinners, except for on Friday pizza night. Um, that was her, her break. And, um, but yeah, so I, I occasionally would go and help her out and it was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. How that. did your fusion approach to cooking come about? Was that something your mom was doing or did you just sort of create that on your own? Um, my mom has always really encouraged me to just like, do, to basically like make whatever I want and to um, not buy 
Oreos. She has like this funny line, like when we go to the store, um, if I wanted to buy Oreos, she'd be like, well, why would you buy them? We can make them from scratch. Um, and she just loves making things herself at that, and you know, instead of buying them already made. And so she's always just really encouraged me to not really like color within the lines. Like I, I never had coloring books. I had blank pieces of paper to draw on and draw my own thing. And so she, uh, always encouraged me to expand the meaning of the word dumpling. Every year we have our dumplings of the world. Christmas party and um, and we don't have to stick to the traditional like physical appearance of a dumpling like if we want to fry something if we want to do like arancini like we consider that a dumpling in our dumpling party so it's um, you know she she loves encouraging me to be creative and that definitely all comes from her I'm looking for some examples of your uh, your sort of uh, culinary mashups in here. <laughs> what, what would you say, I'm flipping through Molly's cookbook right now, what would you say uh, some of your more famous mashups are? The scallion pancake challah really kind of took off and a lot of people have tagged me on Instagrams that they've made it. Um, and yeah, I would say that's definitely like the number one because it's, it's like, it's basically like me as a bread. <laughs> and for the cookbook, are all the recipes new? No, um, a few of them are sort of updated mm -hmm. versions of recipes that have been on my blog. So there's a new Funfetti cake, um, the Scallion Pancake Hala is there, um, uh, Asian Scotch eggs are there that I did for Food 52 a while back. And so I, they were a lot of things that I sort of just updated and, and um, tested a million more times for the book. That's super nice because I'm sure there are some things from the early days where you're like, oh, I'd love to erase that post. Oh, and yeah, yeah. And start I, have a, over. I have a no erasing blog posts policy. So it's all there, folks. <laughs> when did blogging become a profession for you? Um, blogging became a profession when I moved out to Grand Forks. And um, I, I, I was working at a bakery um, kind of part-time. And uh, aside from that, though, my husband, Nick, was working in the fields very, very long days. And I hadn't made any friends yet. So it was kind of like I didn't really have anything else to do. And I just threw myself into the blog and I worked on my photos. And I think that once I started figuring things out about photos and lighting is, and once I started figuring out Pinterest is when I started driving more traffic to the blog. And that's how I was able to get more opportunities to contribute to other sites, um, take on sponsored posts for my site, um, and, and start to monetize the blog. And you learned all of this on your own. Uh, I definitely had mentors that I would sort of just really glob onto and ask them questions about photography. I read a lot about photography. Um, I spoke to a bunch of other bloggers about the business side of things. And, um, and it, yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot of talking to people mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then just a lot of locking myself into a room and, uh, and, and working until I started to figure things out. I was just at the Sever uh, Blogger Luncheon the oh, other fun. day, and you were their Blogger of the Year last year. Yeah. And yeah, it seems like <laughs> a lot of the questions are about how do you make a living as a blogger? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's a really good time for, for bloggers right now um, because a lot of companies do see uh, that as a really great, fun, creative way to access their, their audience and customer base. Um, and bloggers have a, a ton of fun with it too, like working with various different products. Um, oh, 
Sorry. We're pouring water here. We're just just hanging out. (laughs) We're semi-live. Well, I mean, like, as a blogger, um, you have to work on different skills, such as the photography and the recipe development and the writing and social media. And and a lot of those skills are transferable to different, uh, you know, different jobs. Um, So, you know, a blogger might not necessarily be monetizing their actual blog, but using their photography skills uh, to take photos for various different brands with different food products or to do recipe development for larger sites and companies. And so it's, yeah, it's just a, a lot of like transferable skills that um, as a blogger, you, you really have to uh, have in tip top shape. So social media is just I mean, everyone's so obsessed now, whether oh, yeah. it's Snapchat or Instagram or Instagram stories. How has that hurt or helped blogs? Um, it's definitely changed it. It's revolutionized it. Um, and I think people are going to blogs for different things now than, than they once did. When I first started the blog, I could do a blog post that was one photo and a few lines of how my day was. Now that goes on Instagram. And people are figuring out that audiences would rather be looking at photos on Instagram. They'd rather be looking at videos on maybe Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram stories. So there are less reasons to go to a blog, um, but I think one of the reasons that remains is uh, is is the writing. Um, we haven't really figured out the Instagram of writing yet. Um, and who knows if we ever will, but I think that, um, that blogs with, uh, the, the type of writing that that people want to read are the ones that are still doing really well today. Um, Grace Bonney gave an amazing talk this morning at the Better Homes and Gardens Style Maker Conference. She gave the keynote speech and she compared the future of blogging or or a blog in the future to, um, it's going to be like the living room in a house and people might choose to only go and hang out in the kitchen, which could be, you know, one of the social networks and, or they might go to any one of the other rooms, but the blog is, uh, Grace sees it as still being like the hub of a site or a personality or a brand. Um, but more and more people are choosing to hang out in the kitchen with the snacks. Okay. Well, the blog of the future. (laughs) Yeah. So we have so many things we could talk to Molly about. We didn't even, I'm music obsessed. We didn't even get to scratch the surface on music. Molly is a percussionist, a trained percussionist. And you performed with the Los Angeles Opera not too long ago. Yeah. I mean, who knew? That's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, it's so much fun, um, especially because musicians love food and they're always down to go try new restaurants after the show. So um so I love it. I don't play as much as I did when I lived in New York, just because there aren't that many opportunities in um, in North Dakota or Northern Minnesota. But um, I have been able to travel, and uh, and yeah, I played at the LA Opera last year, and that recording is actually also out this month. It's this opera called Dog Days, which is this really bloody, uh, post-apocalyptic, dark situation that is has the most incredible music it it's sounds very you dark <laughs> apocalyptic <laughs> all right well we have to jump to the speed round sadly because we are running out of time and molly kind of cheated she heard the she heard the question so your answers better be really good okay coffee or tea black coffee before noon green tea afternoon sweet or salty salty lots and lots and lots of salt 
and hot sauce. Even though you're the queen of funfetti cakes. Even though I'm the queen of funfetti cakes, I will take a pile of cheese fries over a cake any day. What's in your fridge? Um, Six different types of tahini, eggs, a lot of butter, and some like random experiments and like containers that I'm sure are not going to be cleaned out until I get home next week. (laughs) Sorry, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) What kitchen tool do you use the most? Rubber spatulas all the way. They are like the best for getting cake batter off the bowl and licking it. If you were trapped on a desert island with one food celebrity, who would it be? Michael Solomonov so that he can make me hummus all day. What are you reading? Jason Diamond's book on John Hughes. Which I will pick up. I didn't even know that book was out. Um, I don't know. We traded like, like pre-release copies. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it is out. I know that it's coming out this fall. Um, and he was a cupcake bouncer at Magnolia, not John Hughes, uh, Jason Diamond was. And oh my gosh. Oh wait, Jason Diamond's like spelled like my last name. Yes. Oh, I think I've, I've, we're, we like talk to each other on Twitter every now and then. He's a great tweeter. Okay. Yeah. I need to, uh. We're not related, but I'll find You've got to get the book, yeah. Okay, and I just had an idea. I've been dying to have Molly Ringwald in the magazine. We, you should interview Molly Ringwald for us. Molly and Molly. That would be fun. For sure. All right, where would you like to travel to next? Oh, um, the mountains. Anywhere with mountains. I love mountains, and um, where I live is as flat as can possibly be, and it's great for getting work done, and it is very relaxing, but I also love uh, just going up into the mountains and maybe when it's snowy and sit by a fire and eat fondue or something. That sounds fabulous. Well, Molly's new book is out right now, Molly on the Range. Make sure you pick it up. It's fantastic. It's a great read, too. Thank I mean, you. even if you're not, you know, cooking, it's a really fun book to read through. The, uh, everything's beautiful about it. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for finally coming on the show. So what, nice to What a thrill. Meet you. And please, anytime you're back in New York, open invitation to Thank come you. talk to us some more. Um, so that's it for today's show. It was a pleasure speaking with Hawa and Molly today. Thanks, as always, to our engineer, Dave Tadashore, and much love to Knopf for supporting this season of Radio Cherry Bomb and for publishing such beautiful books. Don't forget to support Heritage Radio, the not-for-profit home of Radio Cherry Bomb. To make a donation, visit heritageradionetwork.org. Thank you for listening, everyone. You are the bomb. Charlotte Druckmann. I'm a food writer in New York City and I've just written the cookbook Stir, Sizzle, Bake about baking in a cast iron skillet. Radio Cherry Bomb is a joint production of Cherry Bomb Magazine and the Heritage Radio Network. To subscribe or learn more about the magazine, visit cherrybomb.com. You know who I think is the bomb? Kim Severson of the New York Times. She's the journalist who writes about food who I probably most admire and whose stories I most look forward to reading every week. She writes beautifully about people, places, and the cooking of both. She covers the politics of food with such a dry sense of humor that you almost forget you're reading about politics until the end, when you walk away with a very clear sense of what's at stake and who's responsible. She's written two books, a memoir called Spoon Fed and a cookbook called Cook Fight with Julia Moskin, who's another food writer you should know about. You can read them both online and in print at the New York Times, if you aren't already, which makes no sense.